Okay, all right. Praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study His words and His commandments. Our topic for today is about toxic relationships. Perhaps some of you, some of us, are going through a difficult time when it comes to our relationships. And it's even more difficult if the relationship we're dealing with involves people who are part of our own family or is considered a relative. And so we need to know as a Christian or as a people of Yahuwah Alamin, how do we deal with toxic relationships? Now, this topic comes from one of the questions given to us by one of our viewers. And let's go ahead and read the question that was sent. Uh, it's the following. Uh, hello, Pokemon John. My question is a little broad, but based on the Bible. How do we deal with toxic relatives and in-laws? I all know that we should respect everybody, especially the elders, parents. But what if they do not acknowledge that we are wrong and would insist that we are right? Is standing up for what I know is right or truth a form of disrespect, especially to the elders? How can we defend ourselves without being disrespectful? How do we deal with miscommunication, misunderstanding, and difference in opinions, especially within a family? Thank you. All right, this is very a very timely um, topic, I would think, because all of us do deal with people in general, especially people who are in our own family or are considered relatives. And now this is something we need to spend some time with, because after all, as people of Allahim, he expects us to act and to behave not as ordinary people, but as people who reflect his love and his holiness. And so Having said that, we need to set foundations. Remember, we must not behave in the same way the world behaves, but according to our calling. So how do we do that? What should characterize our relationships with one another? In the book of 2 Peter 1, 5-7, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. And so in Second Peter, the Apostle Peter is reminding the people of God, those who receive a calling and election from him, and because of that calling and election, have been accorded precious promises from God. Bible says we are to respond to the promises God has given us as his people in a way that will reflect our calling and election. What is that? We need to respond with love and affection. Take note, when you think about the commandments, it's all about what? Well, it's all about love, loving Yahuwah and loving our fellow men. And so when we think of the context of the commandments of Yahuwah, when we think of our precious calling and election, what we need to do is nurture, nourish, and strengthen the love we have for one another. Because when we do this, we express and show our love for God. So when it comes to relationships in general, we need to show love. This is why Apostle Peter tells us we need to love everyone, even those who do not belong to our faith. In fact, even those who are considered our enemies, we show love for them. Not only that, but especially show brotherly affection. So when we look through scriptures, we can discover basically a hierarchy of relationship priorities. We all need to show love to everyone, but there seems to be a ranking 
where we need to give topmost priority to certain individuals. And so we show love for everyone, but we show love especially for our brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, besides showing brotherly affection, one also, to whom also must we afford great love too. In the book of Timothy 5.8, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those of their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Yes, we need to love all people. We need to love our brothers and sisters in the faith. But even more so, we ought to love our own relatives, especially those of our own household. And so failure to love and care for our own relatives, members of our own family, would mean that we have denied the faith and we have become worse than, our, than unbelievers. So this tells us, according to the hierarchy of priorities when it comes to relationships, we need to show love for our relatives and members of our immediate family. So we begin at the bottom, everyone, and then we work our way up. We need to love our brothers and sisters in the faith, and then our relatives and immediate family. But Apostle Paul tells us there's a relationship that has even more priority than one's own relatives. What is that? What could that be? Ephesians 5, 25, 28 to 29, for husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Now, throughout scriptures, what is emphasized again and again is the priority of the relationship between husband and wife. This is important to Yahuwah and to Yahusha. It's important to Yahuwah because a healthy and loving relationship between husband and wife is the key to a thriving and holy, godly family. It's important to our King Yahusha because this relationship between husband and wife is supposed to serve a model. A model of what? In the book of Ephesians again, 31 to 33, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Why is the relationship between husband and wife is of paramount importance to our King Yahushua because it models the relationship between Christ and the assembly. The two are one. This is why Apostle Paul reminds us when it comes to marriage, husband and wife will join together as one and they will have to separate from their parents. This tells us the priority of the husband-wife relationship even over the relationship between a person and a person's kids and a person and a person's uh, uh, parents. And so a topmost priority valued by scripture is the relationship between husband and wife. However, something greater than that is depicted in scripture. In Matthew 10, 37, those who love their father or mother more than me are not fit to be my disciples. Those who love their son or daughter more than me are not fit to be my 
disciples. Yes, of course, we ought to love our spouse, but we need to love Yahusha more than our spouse, more than our parents, and more than our own children. Most of all, according to Yahusha himself, who is to be loved above all and with all of our heart? I think we know this very well. Yahusha answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. The second most important commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so love is the essence of the commandment. And Yahuwah is the one that we should love the most. And so when we look at how we must live our life as people of God, in response to the question, how should we deal with toxic friends or toxic relationships, we need to do so from the context of love, because we were called to love and to express love. However, when it comes to loving each other, there is, of course, the priority hierarchy, which looks something like this. Number one, first and foremost, Yahuwah and Yahusha. Number two, husband and wife. Number three, immediate family, relatives, sons, daughters, um, parents, siblings. Number four, brethren in the faith, and everyone. When you say everyone, do you think that includes toxic relationships or toxic relatives? I would think so, because the Bible does say that you ought to love your enemy, right? And so we dump that everything in there in number five. And so that's the foundation of how we're going to answer the question, how should we deal with toxic uh, relatives or toxic relationships? Well, we need to first, I guess, define what toxic means, right? Because if I were to ask you, do you know what a toxic relative is? How many here know what a toxic relative is? I know, brother, that's the person who's always asking for money and never ever returns or borrows things and never ever returns. Does that meet the category or the qualification for being a toxic relative? Because when it comes to being toxic, the word toxic means poisonous, right? And so when you're being poisoned in the relationship, you want to protect yourself from that, right? You don't want to poison yourself because it will lead to death. Nobody wants to die a slow death of poisoning. And so we need to deal with toxic relatives. But to do so, we need to first define what toxic means. Because there's a difference between a toxic relative and a relative who's just plain annoying, right? Maybe they don't have the same opinion as you do. And this is quite evident, especially during, during the political elections. Either one is for Trump, the other is for Reagan, right? And so you're fighting about political parties. One is for Pacquiao, one is for Robledo. Is it Robledo? And so you're fighting. And so you don't agree. Your opinions don't match. And so does that mean they're toxic? No, it doesn't mean they're toxic. It just means they're annoying, right? And because they're annoying, I don't think we should get rid of them. I think we just need to learn how to deal with those who are annoying. Well, what could it mean for a person or a relative to be quote unquote toxic? Well, if we are to use a definition of toxicity, I think it would be something that Yahuwah himself cannot tolerate. But you, you, you agree with that? I think that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Someone whom Yahuwah cannot even tolerate, I think, we can make the case that we should not also tolerate such an individual. And so who then are people who can be considered toxic because not even Yahuwah tolerates them? 
Let's read the book of Proverbs 6 and verses 16. There are seven things that Yahuwah hates and cannot tolerate. Proud look, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent people, a mind that thinks of wicked plans, feet that hurry off to do evil, a witness who tells one lie after another, and someone who stirs up trouble among friends. And so if we are to define what it means to be a toxic person, a toxic relative, I think we can begin with Proverbs 6, verse 16. So what are some of the characteristics of a person who can be labeled as toxic? First of all, they have a proud look. What does that mean? They're kind of narcissistic. They think everything revolves around them. And so they're very sensitive to information. Sometimes they take it too personally. And so they cannot accept any kind of criticism. And so if you criticize this person and want to tell this person how they can behave next time, they will not take it well. They're going to magnify that because they have a problem. Look, they think they're better than the other person. So that's one characteristic. What else? Another characteristic is their nature is to lie. They're pretty experts at lying. And so they're even going to go as serve as a false witness. It would be difficult to detect them if they're lying or not because it's easy. You cannot tell because they're professional liars. They like to deceive, they like to use and manipulate people, and even if their back's against the wall, they will still continue to lie. That's a red flag when it comes to a relative, especially if this relative kind of hangs out your place all the time and you're spreading misinformation about you, you kind of want to make sure you protect yourself from that kind of scenario. What else? Hands that kill innocent People, one thing about toxic people, according to studies, um, they're well-mannered, they're cheerful, and, and they will go out of their way to make you feel loved. And so outwardly, they look uh, like happy people and you want to be their friend, but you're not realizing you're up to something. And so they like to use people as a tool. And so they become manipulative and they use where they use a lot of kindness to show how much they care about you so that you can become a tool for their purposes. What else? Bible says a man that thinks up wicked plans. And so not only do they react, they actually take initiative to make elaborate concrete plans to carry out their wicked schemes. And oftentimes their wicked schemes and plans often make is to make it appear that they are victims want to portray that they are the ones who are being done wrong who are being wronged against and so they want to kind of establish this victim mentality and so that those are the kind of plans that they come up with and the bible says feet that hurry off to do evil and so these relatives they're very reactive in the sense that they will not hesitate to stab you on the back they will do it right away and they will not feel remorse because they've convinced themselves that they are the victim and they convince themselves that they have no other choice but to do this. So it's very easy for them to do that which is wrong and evil in the eyes of Yahuwah. What else? Bible says someone who scares up trouble among friends. If there's something toxic people love, you know what it is? It's drama. They love and crave drama, even if outwardly they don't really want to admit to it and say, but drama 
it makes them feel good. This is what people uh, kind of look for ways to create drama. One of the ways they do that is to sort of trouble them out. And so this is the definition of a toxic personality, someone who can be a toxic relative. And so we need to be watchful for people who are like that. So how do we deal with someone who is toxic? Well, let's keep looking at the question. We all know that we should respect everybody, especially the elders, parents. But what if they do not acknowledge that they are wrong and would insist that they are right? Want to pause there for a while? I mean, one definition of being a toxic person is they will never admit that they are wrong. They will always think that they are right. And so if they're always right and never ever wrong, how do you deal with people like that in a way that is respectful? So what do we do with people who are toxic? Does it mean we disrespect them? Does it mean we no longer are to love them? Let's turn to the book of Timothy 5, 1 to 2. Never speak harshly to one older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat other women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. So what if our toxic relative is elderly? Because especially if they grew up in the Philippines, you like to use that card, I'm older than you, right? And so it's really a lose-lose situation to kind of uh, debate with them and negotiate with them and talk to them. To them, it's like talking back. When you express your rights as an individual to them, it's like talking back. It's just the way we were brought up. It's that culture, Filipino culture, right? So if you kind of uh, mention what you're thinking, to them it's automatically a disgrace because you are already betraying your respect for them. And so what do we do in situations like that? Well, the Bible does tell us, you know, if we're dealing with someone older, we ought to treat them respectfully, okay? So that's a biblical command. Treat the women as you would your mother. And so we treat someone who is older, his relative, who is considered toxic, and uh, who is older than you, we have to always keep in mind that we ought to treat them with respect. Now, having said that, what does Yahuwah also expect from these so-called toxic relatives? If you notice Timothy 5, 1 to 2, it's a two-way street. Yes, we ought to give respect to those who are older than us, but at the same token, it is also Yahuwah's will, according to Apostle Paul, that those who are older, we talk to younger men as you would their own brothers, right? And then it says here, treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sister. So this is reciprocity of mutual respect. And so if it's Yahuwah's will for us to treat relatives who are older than us with respect, it is also Yahuwah's will that they treat us with respect. You see the point there? Point there is about fairness. Point there is Yahuwah's will does not allow a person to take advantage on seniority alone. And so we need to know and understand this mutual respect according to the Holy Scriptures. Well, how about love? You look at Luke 6, 27 to 31, but I tell you, you hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. There you go. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on one cheek, let him hit the other one too. If someone takes your coat, let him have your shirt as well. Give to everyone who asks you for something, 
And when someone takes what is yours, do not ask for it back. Do for others just what you want them to do for you. I suppose if there was a favorite biblical, biblical passage by a toxic relative who owes you a lot of money, it would be this, right? Because Yahushua says, if you know, let them have your shirt as well, if you ask for a coat. Give to everyone who asks for something, and when someone takes what is yours, do not ask for it back. And so if you have a toxic relative who's always getting something from you, they probably point to this passage, aha, uh -huh, the king said, well, wait a minute, this law applies to you as well, right? And so the Bible says, we ought to love and pray for those who mistreat us. This applies to us. It, is, it also applies to the one who is considered a toxic person. This applies to all of us. In other words, what I'm trying to get at, when we are being mistreated by someone who is older than us and they're becoming toxic as how it was, how it was defined by the Holy Scriptures, we still need to show respect. We still need to show love. But at the same time, we must not enable them. You see, there's a difference between respecting and loving this toxic relative and at the same time, not enabling them. What do you mean? Well, is it Yahuwah's will for us to love and to respect our elders? What is your answer? Yes, but it's also Yahuwah's will that these people who are toxic, that they do not remain toxic. But they too also show respect and love. And so if we are not responding in the appropriate way, then what we're doing is enabling them to break the law of Yahuwah again and again and again. And so what we need to implement is respect what is called tough love, right? So that we don't enable toxic relatives. So how do we do that? How do we deal with toxic relatives according to scriptures? Well, the first thing is James chapter 1 verse 5. But if any of you lack wisdom, you should pray to God who will give it to you because God gives generously and graciously to all. And so if you have a problem with toxic relatives, the solution is not that clear cut. It's not that simple. It could be a very complex situation. And with complexity comes the need for wisdom. And so what we need is wisdom that Yahuwah can give us. And so what we need to do first is to ask Yahuwah for help, right? So get on your knees and ask Yahuwah, Yahuwah, what, what should I do? How should I respond to Uncle Ward here? Because of the way he's acting every time he's around my kids. I don't like the way he uses his abusive tone and his foul language. I don't want that. And so I don't want to be the person who has to tell him he can't see my kids anymore. And so this is a touchy situation, right? Because it's relative. It's about relatives. And so what we need to do is ask for wisdom. Because when we ask Yahuwah for wisdom, the Bible says he will give it to us. And so we need to pray, we need to ask, and because he's going to give it to us, we need to search. We need to search the scriptures, we need to uh, watch Bible study so that we can receive wisdom. So ask for and obtain biblical wisdom from Yahuwah through Yahushua. What also must we do so that we can deal with toxic relatives uh, in a biblical way? In the book of 1 Peter 3, verse 7, in the same way you husbands 
must live with your wives with the proper understanding that they are more delicate than me. Treat them with respect because they also will receive together with you God's gift of life. Do this so that nothing will interfere with your prayers. You know what Yahuwah wants is for husband and wife to be on the same page, to be of the same spirit, the same attitude, right? Because after all, from two, they have become one. Who was the one who joined them to become one? Yahuwah. And so they should do everything together. And so if there are two people who should always be in agreement, it should be the husband and wife. In fact, Apostle Peter even says, if you want Yahuwah to answer your prayers, what you need to do is to agree with one another. And this oftentimes begins with the husband understanding the wife. And so there must be this mutual understanding between husband and wife, and they need to talk about the situation. And so if the wife or the husband is having a problem with an in-law, if the wife or husband is having a problem with a relative, right? The husband and wife have to talk about that. And they need to understand that the priority of the relationship is between the husband and the wife, right? And so if there's a relationship between the in-laws that's harming emotionally the husband or the wife, the husband and the wife, when they have a conversation, it should reflect the priority of the husband-wife relationship according to the plan of Yahuwah taught by Yahushua. This is what Yahushua says in Matthew 19, 5 and 6, and God said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife, and the two will become one. So they are no longer two, but one. No human being must separate them. What God has joined together. And so if there's a problem with toxic relatives, husband and wife need to be together. They need to be on the same page. And when they're talking about the situation, they need to agree and support each other. You know, it just feels wonderfully liberating when husband and wife agree together when they're confronting a problem, perhaps a toxic uh, relative. When you begin with husband and wife fully supporting each other, I think it would make for a more proactive um, solution to the problem. And so that's a very, very important part of this equation. Get support, get loving support from your spouse. Once you have that, then you can begin to plan how to talk to this relative, how to set boundaries, so on and so forth. So that's those are the first two steps, ask for uh, biblical wisdom and get support from your spouse. The third step is Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22. Put all things to the test. Keep what is good and avoid every kind of evil. And so we need to ask ourselves, this situation involving a toxic relative, is it really a problem or is it really just about me? Because sometimes when our ego is hurt and our feelings are hurt, sometimes it can cloud our judgment and so the situation really is not that bad. And so we may be overreacting. And so what we need to do is to test the situation, look at what's good and look what is not good, right? And so if upon further testing, and we look at Proverbs 6, we realize, you know what, this relative really is toxic. He's not just annoying, he's really toxic. Then maybe we can do something about that, right? But we have to test the situation honestly and Sincerely, and when we are testing the situation, 
uh, what can we include there? Include there. Colossians 3, 12, uh, down to 14, you are the people of God. He loved you and chose you for his own. So then you must clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with one another and forgive one another whenever any of you has a complaint against someone else. You must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. And to all these qualities add love, which binds all things together in perfect unity. So if we're testing the situation, we're testing um, the problem of a toxic relative, when we do tests, we need to ask ourselves and say, okay, what exactly is my toxic relative saying? What is my toxic relative doing? How severe is it? Is it something that could jeopardize his or her salvation? Because I could be enabling this person and it could jeopardize his or her salvation. Or is this person, is what this person saying and doing tolerable? Is it really a big deal? Or is it something that's more of a nuisance, that's more a personality quirk that I can tolerate because I choose to put on love and compassion and kindness? That's something that you need to decide on your own with the wisdom that comes from Yahuwah. So we need to test the situation. We need to assess the situation honestly. And one of the ways that we can see the situation clearly is by doing what our King of said in Matthew 7, put down the font. Why then do you look at the speck in your, brother's eye, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the love in your own eye? How dare you say to your brother, please don't let me take that speck out of your eye when you have a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oftentimes, when there's a conflict in a relationship, right? One side will say it's the other person's fault, and the other side will say it's the other person's fault. But the truth of the matter is, both have a fault in it, right? And so what Yahushua is saying is, if you're complaining about somebody else, you need to look at yourself first. And so we need to own up to perhaps something we said, something we did, that contributed to the problem, right? Once we begin to take ownership of that, then we begin to see clearly, and we begin to take steps that need to heal. And so after we assess the situation, let's take ownership of our contribution to the problem so that we can see what he or she needs to do so that we can have a conflict resolution. And so to perform the conflict resolution requires that we actually confront the individual in question, right? And so this is what Yahushua says, if your brother or relative sins against you, go to him and show him his fault, but do it privately. And so what we need to do is to confront the person, but do it privately. Now, if this relative is really, really toxic, this is not as cut and dry and simple as it seems to be in this passage. Sometimes it works really fast if the person in question is not really toxic. But if the person in question is filled with a lot of ego and they're filled with a lot of pride and they can't see their own contributions to the problem, then it's not going to work, right? And so you go to the next step, and if you, if you want, you can, if you will not listen to you, take one or two other persons so that every accusation will be upheld by the testimony of two or more witnesses. As the scripture says, 
if this person is really toxic, the more people involved, the more resistance you will find. And so Matthew 18, 17 says, and if you will not listen to them, then tell the whole thing to the church. Finally, if you will not listen to the church, treat him as though he were a pagan or a tax collector. So what I'm hearing you saying, if you may, despite the fact you made the efforts to reconcile gently, right, the person doesn't respond in an appropriate way, the best thing to do is basically, well, don't spend time with this person anymore, right? Treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. And so we have to confront one of the, the things that we need to do in dealing with a toxic relative is to have, be willing to feel awkward enough to have that conversation so that the conflict can be resolved, right? It may not be easy, nobody wants to engage in a conversation that leads to conflict, but sometimes it's what needs to be done. But how do we do it um, in a way that shows respect, which is kind of the question that's being asked here, is standing up for what I know is right and truth, a form of disrespect, especially to the elders. How can we defend ourselves without being disrespectful? And so if there is a mismatch between values and your relative doesn't agree with you, and so you want to express yourself, do you have the right to do that without showing disrespect? Absolutely. However, when we do show and speak up according to what we believe is true and what we believe is right, how must we do so because we're followers of Elisha? In the book of Ephesians 4 verse 15, it said we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And so if we want to express ourselves, we want to let the toxic relative know that he or she has crossed the bounds, that she or he or she's out of bounds already. We need to do so with love. We need to express what we believe is right with love. Well, what does that mean? That we express the truth with love. In Second Timothy. 2.23.25, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, being able to, to teach and be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change uh, those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And so how do we speak the truth? With love. When we speak the truth, and we stand up for what we believe is right, we should do that, but we should do so gently. It is all about the spirit of gentleness. It's really about our approach, our verbal, nonverbal cues, our tone of voice. That matters more really than what we actually say. You can say all the nice things, but if your, your facial expressions and your gestures in your tone of voice is dissonant in what you're saying, that's going to have more impact in the outcome of the conversation. And so we should pray to Jehovah first to give us a, a gentle demeanor, a gentle spirit. So when we speak our truth, right, we do so in a gentle way. And what does this show? We're able to do that. They must not slander anyone and must have woke them and said they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Humility and gentleness, it goes, it, it's powerful when they're combined 
because when that happens, if there ever is an exchange of words and there is a clash of opinions, instead of acting out and speaking out of anger, a gentle spirit does something else. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And so having a gentle spirit, speaking the truth with love, with humility, so that we don't come across as arrogant and someone who never makes mistakes, that will deflect a lot of anger and it opens the possibility uh, for reconciliation. And one of the fruits of gentleness, according to the Holy Scriptures, is James 3, 17 to 18, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And so one of the, the fruits of true wisdom and gentleness is peace and reconciliation. And so that's step number four. We need to uh, resolve the conflict with a gentle spirit. One of the the ways we can do it effectively is by owning up to your own mistake, right? When you open a conversation by admitting to your wrongdoing, taking responsibility for your wrongdoing and as how and how it contributed to the problem. And so ask for and obtain the wisdom, get support from your spouse, assess the situation honestly, uh, perform gentle conflict resolution, beginning with the ownership of your own problem and how you contributed to the problem, okay? Now, sometimes this will not work because if they're toxic, they will not accept anything except that they're right and everyone else is wrong, right? And so what do you do? Second Thessalonians 3, 6 to 11, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy guys. Here, Apostle Paul is teaching the brethren in Thessalonica to set up boundaries. Because without boundaries, people walk disorderly. Apostle Paul does not want that. In fact, he preached in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that he walked orderly, not Disorderly. And so for us to establish order, we need to have boundaries, right? We need to know, you know, what is allowed, what is not allowed. We need to establish rules so that we can respect each other's boundaries. Because all of us have personal space. You know, we cannot intrude in the personal space of other people, even if you're a relative, because we all have our own private thoughts. And what Apostle Paul considers to be a breaking or an Going outside these boundaries is when you become a busy guy. When you involve yourself in matters that doesn't involve you, right? And for Apostle Paul, it's out of balance. And so we need to set boundaries. And so this relative, you know, they need to know where they're at. Just because they're a relative doesn't mean they have to know every single thing about you and pry into your own business, right? There's something called personal space that should not be violated. And so we need to set boundaries and one of the purposes of setting boundaries, if initially it hurts someone 
because I'm sure once you set the boundaries and you're putting the boundaries, it's going to hurt certain individuals. And so what would be the purpose of that? In the book of 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 10, for even if that letter of mine made you sad, I am not sorry I wrote it. I would have been sorry when I saw that it made you sad for a while. But now I am happy, not because I made you sad, but because your sadness made you change your ways. That sadness was used by God, so we cause you no harm. For the sadness that is used by God brings a change of heart that leads to salvation. And there's no regret in that. But sadness that is merely human causes death. And so Apostle Paul basically is telling the Corinthians, he wrote a letter and kind of hurt the feelings, right? And he did that to set up boundaries because they were stepping out of bounds already. And so Apostle Paul says, well, I'm not I don't feel bad if you were sad. I feel glad because the sadness caused you to change your ways. It's called tough love. And sometimes the best thing you can do for someone who is toxic is to withdraw from them and draw boundaries. That way they understand that they need to change. But perhaps if having a conversation doesn't work, drawing up boundaries would, would cause them to look at the life and we can make changes in the life. Because if we will not do that, if we will not help set boundaries, what might happen to us and to them? Proverbs 22, 24, don't, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. One of the characteristics of a toxic individual is where hot-headed, they get angry easily. And the Bible tells us that we should not associate and befriend with people who are hot-tempered because they can get you in trouble too, right? And we don't want to be involved in that situation. So we need to learn to draw boundaries. And so before you begin to draw boundaries, consider your relatives in mind, maybe even your friends, okay? Have them in mind right now, and I want you to assess your relationships. And ask yourself the following questions. As you assess these relationships in your mind, ask yourself, when you are hanging out, when you are spending time with this person, does it, does it make you have a positive mood or a negative mood? And after the encounter or after the time spent together, you feel a negative mood, you feel sad and depressed. Or do you feel upbeat and you have a good outlook on life and you feel positive? Do you feel peace or anger when you're with this person? Does this person help you become a better Christian? Or do you think up, or does it stir up your evil imagination of things that can do against this person? Does it make you an ungodly person or an ungodly person? Does it make you happy? Does it make you better? Do you feel more comfort or do you feel more stress when you're with this person? Because we have, you know, just because we love each other, and respect each other doesn't mean we have to spend time with each other, right? You choose the kind of person you want to spend time with, and it should be the person that makes you a better person. You should not choose to spend time with people who brings out the worst in you. You should choose to spend time with people who brings out the best in you. So that means we need to learn how to set up appropriate boundaries. And so that's number five. Now, once you set up the appropriate boundaries, Guess what? It's going to be tested. And so what does the Bible say? Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, 
Therefore, the heart of sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And so if there's a law, if there's a boundary, and the person crosses the boundary, nothing happens, the person is beginning to think, hmm, so this boundary is not really a boundary. It's all words, right? It's a false boundary. And so it's useless. And so the person never learns. And so what the Bible tells us, if we set a boundary, let's make sure it's we stick up to it. We are committed to it. Make it firm. Otherwise, you're just going to laugh it off and not take you seriously. Proverbs 19, 19, if someone has a hot temper, let them take the consequences. If you get him out of trouble once, you will have to do it again. And so, again, this is tough love, setting boundaries so that the person can learn that they, they know how to become more responsible in respect your boundaries. So after setting boundaries, commit to the boundaries. And so let's say you committed to the boundary and this toxic relative, you don't want them in your house anymore. Okay? No matter what happens, they are not allowed in your house anymore. After a while, maybe they'll learn, maybe they're not. They will not learn. However, regardless of what happens to them and how they react to the boundary you set up, what should we always do? In the book of Luke 6, 27, 31, but I tell you, you hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And so no matter what happens, these toxic relatives, if they're not allowed in your house anymore, if you don't spend time with them anymore, right, because of the various reasons that we've cited thus far, you should still pray for them. You should pray that they will change. You should pray that they will learn from their mistakes. You should pray that they will want to be toxic. Pray for them. And when we pray for them, ask the Lord to bless them and be sincere in doing so. And also, when we pray concerning them, what should we also include in our prayer? In Mark 11, 25, and when you stand and pray, forgive anything you may have against anyone so that your Father in heaven will forgive the wrongs you have done. And so then you pray to Yahuwah concerning this toxic relative, always include there the ability to forgive the person. Yes, we know a toxic relative can say nasty things. They can do very nasty things that will hurt you to your core, right? But if you are unwilling to forgive, you are actually only hurting yourself. And so ask the Lord to give you enough grace, to give you enough ability, the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to forgive your toxic relative. Remember, forgiving them doesn't mean you have to meet them and become buddy-buddy. You can forgive them, right? And at the same time, you still honor the boundary that you set up until in such time that you feel it's ready for the boundary to be loosened, okay? But in the meantime, when you ask Yahuwah, please forgive them, sincerely forgive them, you will forgive them for all that you have done wrong. So pray for the toxic relative and forgive your toxic relative. But most of all, you know, for us to be able to respond using these steps, what we truly need is the ability to do that. And it begins really in learning to place our hope and our trust in Yahuwah. In Psalms 37, 8, 37, don't give in to worry or anger. It only leads to trouble. And so the worst thing a person can do when there's a toxic relative is to act in anger because you're going to come up a loser. Because remember, toxic people, they're quite manipulative. They have a way 
of making you look like the troublemaker and make themselves look like the victims. They know how to do that. They know how to manipulate people. And so you're going to be at the losing end. People are going to think, because people on the outside looking in, what they're going to see is, how can that person treat him so badly, you know? And so you're going to be at a lose-lose. And so the worst thing you can do is to act and respond with anger. Instead, you know, don't give in to worry. Don't give in to anger. So what should we do instead? Conversely, trust in Yahuwah and do good. Live in the land, be safe. Seek your happiness in Yahuwah, and he will give you your heart's desire. Give yourself to Yahuwah, trust in him, and he will help you. He will make your righteousness shine like the noonday sun. Be patient and wait for your hate to act. Don't be worried about those who prosper or those who succeed in your evil plan. And so you have a toxic relative, and this person has really greatly upset you, and you want to act in revenge, you want to act in anger, don't do that. Instead, do four things. What are these four things? And you won't trust in Yahuwah. In other words, give it, leave it in his hands, because he knows exactly what to do to deal with a toxic relative. To the Yahuwah and say, Father, you know what I'm dealing with? I endorse the situation into your hands, right? And then seek your happiness in Yahuwah. And so instead of being overwhelmed with the sadness this person has caused you, find your happiness in your relationship with Yahuwah. Spend more time with him. Next, give yourself to Yahuwah. In other words, your agenda, uh, you want Yahuwah to influence it because if this toxic relative somehow, some way is involved in your plan or purpose for your life, give everything to Yahuwah and let him be able to influence your purpose and your work in life. Lastly, be patient and wait, wait for Yahuwah to act because he will in his own good time. And so we need to pour out our heart to Yahuwah. And one of, the, one of the best examples of one who poured out her heart to Yahuwah because of a toxic relative, you know who it is? You know who's a good example of one who poured her heart out to Yahuwah because of the pestering of a very, very toxic relative. I'm going to read the book of 1 Samuel 5, 6-7. But to Hannah, uh, he gave double portion because he loved her, and Yahuwah had clothes of him. Penina, her rival, would torment and humiliate her because Yahuwah had kept her childless. This went on year after year whenever they went to the house of Yahuwah. Penina uh, would upset Hannah so much that she would cry and refuse to eat anything. So who's an example of one who's a victim of a toxic relative? Her name is Hannah, who was the toxic relative, the rival, her, the other wife, Penina, because back then this was permitted, but not by God's design. This is not whenever there's a deliberate breaking of God's design, there's always consequences. And so here we have Penina and Hannah kind of having conflict with each other. Penina uh, is upsetting Hannah and will torment and humiliate her and disqualifies as a toxic relative. And so how this how, how did this make Hannah feel? She felt really bad, and she was really nothing she can do because she can't get rid of her, right? They all live in the same house, 
but because she was childless, there was really nothing that she can do. And so she felt helpless. And so what did uh, Hannah do? What she would describe. But then, what did she think of when she was already overwhelmed? Well, let's read 19.11. Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to Yahuwah. And she made this vow, O Yahuwah of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to Yahuwah, his hair will never be cut. And so what did Hannah do? Because she was being pestered by this toxic relative, Karina, well, she decided to pour her heart to who? Yahuwah. So she prayed a sincere prayer to Yahuwah, coupled with a vow. And so how did this, how was this prayer answered by Yahuwah? In 1 Samuel 1, 19-20, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship Yahuwah once more. Then they returned from Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, Yahuwah remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I asked Yahuwah for him. And so Hannah, because of the toxic relatives, Hannah was prompted to pour her heart to Yahuwah. Yahuwah responded by giving her a son, and this son was not just any son. He was the son who would become the prophet Samuel. And so we, can, we see here that Yahuwah remembers and knows how to act. And whenever we feel overwhelmed by a toxic relative, let's spend time with Yahuwah, give ourselves to Yahuwah, and pour out our heart to Yahuwah. And lastly, in the last part of the question, how do we deal with miscommunication, misunderstanding, differences in opinions, especially with the family, pretty much the same way. We do so with respect and with love because we are followers of Christ. Do you know what? A follower and disciple of Christ ought to be doing, especially with, when it comes to misunderstandings and miscommunications, differences in opinions, in the book of Philippians 2, 1 to 2, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Bible says if there's something that Apostle Paul expects from someone who belongs to Christ, is that they will show tender-heartedness and compassion and love towards your fellow human beings, especially those who are related to each other and related by faith. And what, how can we show a tender heart and compassion to loving heart? How can we work together with one mind and purpose? In the book of Philippians 2, 3 to 4, nothing to be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so what Apostle Paul expects from those who belong to the bishop is that they will not consider themselves to be better than the other person. Instead, we should 
esteem the others better than ourselves and we look out not just for our own interests but the interests of others this is why a person who truly belongs to Yahushua you know they are willing to listen they are not people who think they never make mistakes they're humble enough to admit where they have gone wrong a follower of Yahushua is not a perfect person a follower of Yahushua knows and is willing to make recompense when he or she understands that he or she has done something wrong against someone else. And so what mindset must we put on so that we can be, uh, we can become like our King Yahushua. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Yahushua, who being the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This should be our mindset, right? A lot of times, many people, when they make decisions and when they behave against other people, they think of the mindset, you know, it's about my rights, right? And they will make the claim, well, this is my right, I have a right to this. Yahushua, his mind, the Bible says he took himself as if having no occupation. In other words, he took on the mindset of a servant. He wanted to be a servant. And he wanted to be obedient even to the point of death. So it's about humility. For us to become like Christ, it begins with humility. And it, be, and it, it begins with having a mindset of servanthood. And so when it comes to family, the way we can consider the purpose of family, you know what it is? You know what Yahuwah wants in a family? What Yahuwah wants in a family is for us to be able to exercise godliness and holiness. In a way, it's like a place where we can practice godliness. If there's a place where we should practice godliness, it should be our own home. This is why when Yahuwah says we ought to be holy, we ought to love each other, he wants us to begin with our own family, to love our spouse, to show humility towards our spouse, our children, our relatives. It begins there. And so the purpose of family is really to showcase godliness and holiness. Okay? We should not think of family as what can this person do for me. No, we should think of it as how can I properly show and express holiness and love and compassion. It should begin in the family. And what should come out in our relationship with each other is true love. And when we talk about true love, Apostle Paul defined it as follows. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When we look at this definition of love, it's not exactly what comes across when you listen to a love song, right? That's because oftentimes love is portrayed by a love song, a common love song that you hear on radio. It's not about agape love, which is what has been described here by Apostle Paul. It's not about erotic love. The Apostle Paul is teaching us that we should adopt in our life is agape love. And it looks like this, it's patient, it's kind, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it always perseveres, it keeps no record of wrongs, 
It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That's the kind of love we ought to show one another. But when we think about this kind of love, when we look at it, really look at it, and ask ourselves, am I practicing this? I think if we're going to be true to ourselves, a lot of us are lacking, right? If we're going to be true and honest with ourselves, a lot of us are lacking in this respect. And so what do we need to do? We need to learn to practice this kind of love. However, for us to practice this kind of love requires that we are empowered to do so. You see, this kind of love is not something that can be humanly produced. It is impossible for a normal human being to practice this kind of love because what this is about is really a fruit. This is a fruit. A fruit of what? You know what this fruit is called? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, there are attributes that should be seen in all of us and should be practiced within the context of family. What is that? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love that endures even when hated. Joy that endures even in the deepest of sorrows. Peace that endures even in life-threatening situations. Kindness that endures even in extreme need. Goodness that endures even when persecuted. Faithfulness that endures even when everything is falling apart. Gentleness that endures even when provoked to anger. Self-control that endures even in the midst of overwhelming temptation. These qualities can only be produced with someone who has a holy spirit. And so if we want to make the best possible decision as far as how to deal with toxic relative, what we need to do is to live in the spirit. Make Yahuwah our source of happiness and joy. Because when we live in the spirit, we produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so brothers and sisters, if we feel overwhelmed because of relationship stress, let us go to Yahuwah, ask for wisdom, ask for his spirit, and trust him, and allow him to work it out in our life. Let us our lesson, let us stand, and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Abba, gracious Yahuwah Elohim, thank you so much for giving us your wisdom tonight. Thank you, for we have your precious promises, because you have called and elected us to become your true sons and daughters in these last days. We know that you have high expectations, but we will not live according to the standards of this world, but according to the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us to love, to show goodness, to be kind, to be patient. Help us to be compassionate at all times. Fill us with the ability that comes from you. So, Father, in every decision we make, we are able to express true love that pleases you. Our King Yahushua, may you please be in our hearts and our minds. Help us to follow your good example. Teach us to examine ourselves. Perhaps there are things that we have said and done in the past which may have provoked anger in our family members. Help us to take ownership of this. Help us to do our best, to do what is right. Teach us to be bold, yet to be filled with love when we begin to make decisions about boundaries in our life. Help us that we may be understood and that we can also 
continue to practice true compassion. Please be in our midst, especially during times of sorrows. Strengthen our faith and bless members of our family. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.